Let me ask you this morning, how do you like to spend a typical Sunday afternoon after church? You know, I, I like to, if I get to, uh, you know, we come for church for worship, focus on God, and then get to go home and have family time and rest time. If I can, after I leave here, I would go home and I would eat a, an extremely unhealthy lunch, just because I want to. I would put my feet up. I'd probably find some sports thing on the TV, send the kids to go play in their room and slowly nod off uh, for the afternoon and then wake up and maybe do a few things around the house and play with the kids and have a nice day. And I don't know what you do, but that's what I do. But that is not happening today. Uh, no, that is not happening today. After I get home and hopefully get a bite to eat, I have to go over to the neighbor's house and I will be in their backyard on my hands and knees trying to find my wedding ring. Yes. Oh, that's going to start a rumor. I lost my wedding ring at the neighbor's house. I mean, like, oh, whoa, what's going on here? No, we were uh, having some family time with our neighbors last night. We'd gone over, the kids had gone over there. We'd watched a movie outside around the campfire and had some fun and and as the evening, it, was, it got a little chilly last night, and now my ring always is a tiny bit loose, but I guess the cold made it extra so, because we're playing around in the backyard with the kids, and we're playing a game where I was hitting a ball. And one time I went to hit that ball with this left hand, and I, as soon as I hit it, I felt that ring just fly off, and I kind of guessed the direction it went, and I heard it hit something, and so I told the, the husband of the or our neighbors who's out there with me I said oh no my my ring flew off and we got flashlights out and we're digging through bushes and we're looking for it and you know it's too dark we couldn't see it and I realized kind of looking in vain here at night so I had to walk in the house where Penny was where she was visiting with some of the other people there and I walked in and I and I had to tell Penny that my wedding ring is gone I don't know where it is now I'm telling you this story for a reason because if you remember, we're in this series of encounters with grace. That's what I've been talking about. And I encountered grace last night. For when I told Penny that this ring that has hardly left my finger in 15 years is now somewhere out in the backyard and I can't find it, I encountered grace in the fact that I'm not here with a black eye this morning. You know, that's what I deserved. Remember, grace is when you get what you do not deserve and have not earned. And so, uh, you know, she was very graceful towards me and said, it's okay, and we'll find it. And I did kind of push my luck with her grace when I decided to say the joke of, oh, maybe there I'd find uh, there'd be some cute girl at church this morning when I didn't have my wedding ring on. You know, I was pushing my luck, and she said, yes, there will be a cute girl there this morning. Me, you know, she let me know. Watch out. That's right. You know, we've been talking about grace, and we said when you encounter grace, it leaves its mark on you. It changes you. When you get what you don't deserve, when you're blessed with that, when you're treated in such a way that you had not earned that, you know, you there's nothing you've done to receive that, and you just receive God's love in action, is what we've been calling grace. It has a wonderful effect on your life. We've been looking at this for a couple of weeks. Uh, we've looked at Paul, how Paul said, God's grace to me was not without effect. He talked about being the persecutor of the church. He said he went out to arrest, to kill, destroy. I mean, he went 
His job was to tear down the name of Jesus, but he encountered the risen Savior, and he was forgiven even though he didn't deserve it. And he was given a mission even though he hadn't earned it, and that grace has such an effect on his life. We talked about Abraham. Before he was Abraham, when he was Abram, this was last Sunday, we saw how he put all his hopes in the son that was promised, that he would become the father of a, a great nation, but still he didn't have a child. And he looked at God and said, God, it is your fault that I don't have a son. What good are you to me if I don't have the child? And we saw how God met that attitude with grace and still said, I'm going to bless you with this. And this is how mighty and numerous your offspring will be. That grace had a tremendous impact on Abraham's life, so much so that it colored the rest of his days. This morning we come to it again, this encounters with grace. Now this morning we're not going to be talking about some really well-known person of the Bible. We talk about Paul and Abraham, and in coming weeks we're going to have other people we know very well. But this morning we turn our attention to a uh, fairly unknown person. This little encounter we have in the Old Testament of a man named Mephibosheth. Okay, now there's a couple different ways to say it, so you're going to have to forgive me if I switch back and forth. I like to say Mephibosheth, which is how they would say in the Hebrew. The Texas version is Mephibosheth, so we'll go back and forth. Not a popular name, right? I don't think that name is going to be on any top list of biblical names for children today, you know. I guess you could and just call him Bo. Hey, Bo, you know, you're Mephibosheth. I like it. But this, so this guy in the Old Testament that is such a wonderful encounter with grace. Now, how it's shown is through King David. He has this encounter with King David, even though we haven't heard of Mephibosheth, but we've heard of David for sure. And this encounter he has when he has shown grace and what an awesome thing it does in his life. And when we realize the attitudes and the, the way it changed him, there's some good lessons for you and I today. So we, we find the encounter with David, with Mephibosheth in the Old Testament. We're going to bring it up on the screen this morning. We're in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 9. In 2 Samuel chapter 9, we hear about Mephibosheth and David and what happens. Now, I'm going to read this for you this morning. You can follow along on the screen of this encounter. But I'm going to tell you right now, it's going to take a little bit of explanation afterwards for you to understand the depth of what really is happening. So let's read it first, and then let's understand what God has for us. Starting in verse 1 in, in chapter 9, it says this, And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And they called him to David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. Then, David, then King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. And, and Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. 
And David said to him, do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall always eat at my table. And he paid homage and said, what is your servant that you should regard, that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Now down to the 13th verse, it says this, And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. Now I don't know if some of you have heard this encounter before, but when you begin to understand what's going on, when you get the larger picture, you realize what a blessing this is. Now, before we go back and talk about Mephibosheth and what happened in his life, because the, what he encountered, the grace he experienced on that day and the rest of his days was so powerful that we need to hear about it. Before we get to that, understand what's going on. Now, again, you haven't heard of Mephibosheth, probably a lot of you, but you've all heard of King David. Now, do you remember how David got to the throne of Israel? It didn't happen overnight, did it? It started when he was just a teenager. He's a young man, and the prophet Samuel came and said, this young guy right here is the one God has chosen to be king of Israel, and he anointed him. But there's just one problem. There was already a king. Who was it? Saul. That was man's choice to be king over Israel, but Saul was not walking in the ways of the Lord. And God said, David, this young man, David, is going to be king. But David didn't leave the shepherd's field and go straight to the throne of Israel. He went to go first serve Saul, but then as the years went by, there was this constant back and forth and battle between David and Saul because one day Saul realized that God had said to him, you're out and David's in. And Saul didn't take that very well. And so he chased David. He tried to take his life. There was all this drama and intrigue and back and forth. I mean, over so many chapters of the Bible. I mean, it's so awesome what happened. I mean, the the story is so intricate and so interesting. I'm telling you, somebody should write a book about it. They did, the Bible. Okay, you're with me now. All right. It's good. Read it sometime. It's worth it. I promise you. This back and forth over the period of years and years, it finally came to a place where David was able to come to the throne because Saul had lost his life in a battle, so had Saul's son Jonathan who was David's best friend and so it made way for finally after all that time to David to get to the throne but even then it wasn't easy because when David first came to the throne it was kind of like a split kingdom not everybody was on his side at first they didn't even have Jerusalem as the capital and so he captured Jerusalem and all of it took some more time but finally after all this time he had the capital in Jerusalem and after all this time he had a unified nation and he was king over everybody. God's choice sitting on the throne over man and, and God over David. Now in that time, what was to be expected of a king who came to power is to do one main thing. Make sure you don't have any rivals for the throne. Because when David took the throne, again, there were still plenty of people loyal to Saul, his family, those who had benefited from him being king. And they'd rather see somebody of Saul's line be king. And so when David finally takes the throne, you would think he's going to get rid of everybody that has ever touched the name of Saul. 
that ever is in the family that could ever make a claim to the throne. So when David one day, after this kind of all of these years of turmoil, and it is finally coming to the throne, when he says, hey, is there still someone of the house of Saul, of Jonathan, that I can show kindness to? I bet a lot of people around David said, oh, he's pulling a trick. He's going to find out who's still out there. He's going to find the relations of Saul or Jonathan that are still living, and he's going to get them in. He's going to do them out. He's going to get rid of them. He's going to put them in prison. He's going to kill them or whatever. He's thinking he's going to get rid of all rivals to the throne. But that's what, that is not what is on David's heart. When the, when the peace finally rests on Israel and he is king, he says, there is somebody out there that still comes from the family of Saul. Who is it? He finds a guy, a servant, who's now serving him, who used to serve Saul. He says, is there somebody? And the servant says, yes, there is this one guy who is the grandson of Saul. He is the son of Jonathan, and he is still alive today. And then he tells us two interesting things about this man. He tells us about the man Mephibosheth. Two things, and this is important. First, he says, he lives in this place. And he gave us the name of that place. It's one of those weird, long names we're not used to. But the point behind that was Mephibosheth was living in exile. He wasn't living on his family lands because David had come to the throne. He had to run for his, he had to flee for his life. He couldn't run, but he had to be, you know, taken off. And he was living in some backwoods, flea-bitten town, uh, you know, where hopefully nobody would ever find him. Because... He knows, Mephibosheth knows, everybody knows that if he ever, you know, his name ever comes up, he is in mortal danger. Because technically he could say, I have a right to take the throne of Israel. So this servant says, yep, here's Mephibosheth. He's living out in exile. He's not his hometown. He's way out there, but he's still alive. And what's the second thing he told us about him? He was crippled. He was lame in both feet. The Bible actually tells us what happened. You could read back a few chapters earlier. It says that when Mephibosheth was a child, when he was four years old, he and his family were fleeing from their town because there was a wartime and an invading army was coming. And his care, you know, giver, his nanny, was carrying him as a child and dropped him. I'm sure she got fired after this. And dropped him and broke both of his legs severely. And being what it was in that day and on the run and the lack of medical attention and knowledge, he would be crippled the rest of his life. They couldn't ever fix it. So Mephibosheth, from the age of four on, he couldn't go anywhere himself. He had his mat to sit on. And if he wanted to go somewhere, people had to take him. That also means what? He's not one to go on the run, all right? He can't just easily get away from somebody trying to hunt him down. So he does the next best thing. He gets his family. He's got a wife and he's got a child. And they go to this small town, out-of-the-way place, and go settle over there, hoping against hope that no one ever comes knocks on his door and says, are you the grandson of Saul, the son of Jonathan? But David finds out about it. So one day, Mephibosheth is sitting there on his mat, just trying to keep his head down low, stay out of trouble, and there's the bang on the door. <laughs> Mephibosheth! Who is it? We're the guards of King David. The king wants to see you. What do you think Mephibosheth thought that day? Oh, no. I've been found. My hour is up. 
done for. What is he going to do? He's going to run. The guards come in. They pick him up. Let's go to Jerusalem. The king is waiting. So here comes Mephibosheth, who has been deprived of all his inheritance, all his the grandeur of his name, all these things. And the soldiers bring him before the king. And he puts him there on that mat. It says he bows down. He must have had some, you know, awkwardly tried to bow down and pay respect to King David. Wondering when the axe is going to fall. And what does David do? David does what nobody expects of him. David, he, there would have been one person saying something against David. And David said, lock him up or get rid of him. He is a threat to my throne and kingdom. That's what everybody thought he would do. Every other king of every other land would have done that. But David said, no, Mephibosheth, so glad you are here. I'm going to do two things for you today. He says, first, I'm restoring to you your father's land, the land of your father, the land of your grandfather, that land that was taken away from you, that inheritance. I'm giving it back to you. We didn't read the verses, but not only gave it back, he gave them servants to go work the fields and bring increase and produce and all these things again. He restored his, his, some of his wealth and his land and his place. He says, I'm giving it back to you. And this is the second thing. I'm going to let you come and sit and eat at my table every day. The king's table right here by me. You're with me. You're going to join me for a meal every day. What did Mephibosheth say? What was the response? This is how we know grace is involved. He said, who am I? What have I done to deserve this? I am a dead dog. He knows, right? He goes into his knowing. He is dead. He is of his life, his name is of no value. He didn't deserve anything. He hadn't earned anything. He said, why did you do this for me? He said, what did I have that was anything that you would bless me with this? That's what's in Mephibosheth's cry when he's saying, a dead dog took me in. I didn't deserve this. But David, because he's being directed by God, and we see in Scripture that God is a God of grace and of mercy and of love and of restoration. And because God is leading David, David says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to show grace to you, even though nobody expects it, even though you haven't done anything to deserve it. I'm going to restore your land, and you're going to eat at my table, at the king's table every day of your life. And that's what it told us. That, I mean, it says, the last verse we read was a reminder of this. And he lived in Jerusalem. He left that old town. He came and moved into Jerusalem right next to the king. And every day they came and got him and picked him up by the mat and says, let's go. The king is waiting for you. Dinner is ready. And he sat at the table of the king always. Wow, what a blessing that this guy who nobody cared about, that everything had gone wrong in his life from, from being a child, from no fault of his own, being crippled from having his family name destroyed and his land taken away, that somebody would show him grace like this. 
Now, here's the application for you. Now, that's an awesome example of grace. That's a wonderful encounter with grace. Mephibosheth, who didn't deserve it, encountered the gracious king. But let me ask you this. We have to ask the question. We don't have a specific answer in Scripture. We can take a pretty good guess. But let me ask you this. So do you think that after a while of eating at the king's table, one day Mephibosheth was sitting there in his house and and the servants came to get him and they picked him up by the mat and they carried him and they, they took him into the place at the table and sat him by the king and the servants came and they had a full you know meal laid out and they opened the covered the plate and he goes, Chicken again? Are you kidding me? You know, do you think he ever did that? I, I'm being I'm joking a little bit, but really. Do you think he ever acted like that? I mean, we don't know. It doesn't say anything in Scripture exactly what the encounters at the dinner were like. I'm going to guess he didn't do it because it said he ate at the king's table always. Do you think he came in there and said, somebody's in my seat. I sit there. That's my spot. How dare they? Do you think he came in and started acting jealous when somebody else was shown favor in David's court? Do you think he came in and started making demands of his preferences and his wants? Again, we don't know, but I'm going to give you a pretty good guess that that was not the way he lived out his life. Because he continued to eat at the table of the king the rest of his days. I honestly believe that in Mephibosheth's life, every day was a reminder of the grace he had been shown. Think about this. He would be at his place of residence, wherever that was. But he didn't live at the king's table. He lived over here somewhere. And the king had promised him, he says, you're going to come eat with me today. But could Mephibosheth go do it himself? Could he get himself into the presence of the king? No, he couldn't do it. He was crippled. He was lame in his legs. So every day he had to wait. He had to wait for the king to come get him to fulfill the promise, and to come eat with me. Every day was a reminder of the grace he had been shown, what he had not earned, what he did not deserve. Every day when he was picked up, when somebody else had to do for him what he couldn't do himself, it was a reminder, wow, I I just don't deserve this. I am blessed beyond belief. And I think he enjoyed every day sitting in the presence of the king. I don't think he tried to get his preference in, worry about his meal choices or anything like that. He just enjoyed being in the presence of the king because the glory of what he was receiving, he couldn't have found on his own. And it was just fully by the grace of God. Now, I've spent a lot of time this morning telling, explaining Old Testament kind of things. You're saying, what does this have to do with me? I love the encounter with grace that we see with Mephibosheth because it's so wonderful it illustrates you and I. God, in his perfection, creates mankind. God is holy. God is perfect. 
God is love, and he creates man in his own image. And he loves man so much, he says, I give you the free will. I want you to follow me. I want you to serve me because I'll protect you. I'll take care of you. But you have the freedom. You have the responsibility. You have the right even to disobey me. And what does man do? Man chooses sin. In the first generation, man chooses sin. And Scripture tells us, as in Adam all die, so in Christ all we made life. Through one man we all found sin. And you say, that's not fair, but look at your own life. Have you sinned? Yes, you have, and I have too. And that sin, as soon as we have sinned in our life, it is like breaking our legs and crippling us. Because God is holy and perfect, and we are not. And God decided in his grace, in his love, in action. He says, but I'm going to come down to this person who is sinful, who is broken, who is is messed up life. And I'm going to show grace to this person, to my child, because I love him. I love her. I'm going to show grace. This person hasn't done anything to deserve it, hasn't done anything to earn it, but I'm going to show grace. And how did God show grace? He sent his son, Jesus. He sent Jesus from be God to be man, to live perfectly, to reveal to us God the Father, to die on the cross for you and me. That was God's grace in action right there, Jesus Christ. Because we were crippled. We couldn't come before God. And in truth, what we deserved is death. What we deserve is eternal separation from God because how can you bring something messy and ugly and sinful and imperfect into the presence of a holy God? So God in his perfection says, I'm going to show you my grace by giving you my son Jesus because you can't get to me on your own. And by the grace of our Savior Jesus Christ, God says, come, dying at my table. I'm going to restore what was lost to you. I'm going to show you love, and you can be in my presence every day of your life and to eternity because I love you that much. What a wonderful thing that is. But let me ask you, why in the world Do we treat the gift of grace, Jesus Christ, with such contempt? Why would some men and women look at Jesus, the embodiment of grace, and they're separated from God, their legs are broken, they can't get to God themselves. They're trying it, but they're failing every time. And God says, here, you can't do it on your own, but you can do it by receiving my son, my sacrifice for you, Jesus. And they say, no thanks. What if Mephibosheth had said, no, I'm good. Thanks, David, for the offer to restore my land. Thanks for willing to let me have you at your table. But I'd rather sit on my mat with my legs broken out in the the boondocks, not doing anything, just waiting to live out my days. What sense would that make? But how many people treat the same thing with God when it comes to Jesus Christ? No, I don't want that. I'm going to keep trying in my brokenness to get to you, God, but it's not going to work. We are separated, eternally separated from God without Jesus Christ. But how many of us also receive the gift of the Savior? Have Jesus Christ 
and we have the freedom to come into the table, had to, to approach the throne of God, as it tells in the book of Hebrews, that we should have confidence to come before God. And we come before God and say, God, don't you know what I want? When are you going to solve this my way, in my time? How many of us take that wonderful, precious gift? How many of us get carried by the mat to the presence of God because we couldn't have done it ourselves and then look at God and start complaining or start acting in a way like that grace never had an effect on our life? I always say, I don't know what Mephibosheth did. I don't know. Maybe he did complain sometimes. Maybe he forgot the grace. I don't know. But David was faithful in the promise he had made. I'm going to take care of you. You can keep coming to my presence every day. I don't know for sure what happened there or not, but I do know what God says about it. Because we do walk in the presence of God. We do sit at the throne of our Savior, of our Creator. We get that privilege to be in His presence. And still sometimes we start complaining. And sometimes we start whining. And sometimes we we start acting like we earned our way there. And yet still God says, it's okay. Because what you're doing isn't okay, but you are okay. And I want you to understand this grace I have shown you. And I want you to keep coming to my table. And I want you to keep showing up. You are with me. And when we start paying attention to the grace we have been shown, we start waking up and realize that we did not earn our way into God's presence, that when we, we were broken beyond recognition, and God says, I will heal you by the stripes of Jesus Christ, by his blood, by his sacrifice, you will be healed, and you will be brought into my presence. When we start remembering that, when we start living by that, when we start encountering God's grace every day, it has its effect. God's grace leaves a powerful mark on our lives. A powerful mark, but we forget it sometimes. I want to be like Mephibosheth. I want to every day sit there and say, all right, God, you promised, but your grace and your mercy and your blessings would meet me again today. I'm here. I'm ready. Come pick me up. Let's spend some time together. Because God is faithful. God is so faithful. He won't leave you there waiting by yourself. God is faithful. But you need to remember where that faithfulness came from. It came from his love in action, which is his grace, which was shown to us in the Savior, Jesus Christ. So when we come in this year, we start remembering the birth of Jesus Christ. We start doing all the things that come with the calendar and the season, all that stuff. Remember the embodiment of grace that was received. And you know what? It might just change that approach. It might just change your approach to how you're going to come to God at his table. You might just come before God and say, God, I'm just so blessed beyond imagination to be here. This has nothing to do with me. It's all about you. Thank you, God, for what you've done in my life. I want you to encounter God's grace today, 
this season, through every day that you will sit at the table of the king. Let me pray for you. Let's go before God right now as we begin to seek him. I want to speak a blessing over you. I want to pray in this time for you that you would seek him, that you would deal with what he's saying to you. God, I come before you this morning thanking you. God, you constantly, continually remind us about the powerful truth of your grace. How you, how you bless us in ways we have not earned and do not deserve. How your love is so visible. God, that, that we have the privilege that, that right now, as sinful as I am, God, as, that I could come and right in this moment and talk to you, God. Because I've been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. How awesome is that? God, and that you, your grace meets me and it changes me. And God, it just moves me to live more and more for you. To live just enjoying your presence, being where you are. God, let us never take that for granted. Let us realize that we are more crippled and more broken than Mephibosheth or anybody else. God, we are just completely broken in our sin. Hopeless. God, and you come knocking right on our hearts, and you have every right to judge us and say, look what you have done. Look how you've lived away from me. You have every right to do that, God, but you meet us instead with love, the love of the Savior Jesus. God, don't let us ever forget that, God. God, I pray for the person here this morning that is beginning to recognize their brokenness. God, I pray that we all would this morning, that we would recognize just, just how imperfect we are and how loving you are in spite of all that. How your grace meets us in every moment. God, how you continue to call us, how you continually desire to restore us. God, how you show your people. God, how you take, take the ones who are lost and you say, here's the way home. You can't do it yourself, but I've already provided a way. How you take us who've already come to the table, who've already received a gift. And even in our ugliness sometimes, God, you will call us and say, just remember why you're here and how you're here in the first place. God, don't let us get wrapped up in all the busyness and all the craziness and all the worries and the things. Don't let us get our pride built up in that what we have earned and deserved or look at our, all, our hard work and, you know, that we're just trying our best. God, don't let us get in that place. Because it's all by your great love through the Savior Jesus Christ lived out daily with the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't deserve any of it, but God, you have still shown us. Your grace is here. God, I want people to encounter it today. I want your children to encounter your grace today. So God, move your people right now as we sing. God, move your people, whether it's to respond the first time to the offer of salvation or it's to come to a time of restoration in their walk with you, whether they've been living so much by preferences and forgetting the privilege of what it is to sit at your table and they're going to repent from that and restore that, God, let them have it. 
God, maybe it's coming to say, I'm going to commit him to the church. God, because you've called us to be a part of the local body of believers, God, because we're all uniquely gifted and equipped, and how can we operate if a hand is missing and a foot's not working? God, what are you calling your people to do today? And realize whatever that call is, whatever you're saying, it is by your grace that you are doing it. So, God, we thank you for this opportunity. What an opportunity it is. Let us not miss it out. Let us realize that right now you've come to us in our brokenness, right there on our mat, says, come, come on to me, right here at my table. God, don't let us reject you today. Let us enjoy the blessing of encountering your grace. God, we thank you, we love you, and we pray all this in the powerful name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.